You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Well, good morning. It's great to be together. If you are new, I want to especially welcome you and say it's just great to have you with us today. My name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here, and if we're not had an opportunity to meet, I hope, I hope we will today or, or soon. Today we're going to be studying Acts 2, 42 to 47, which is a summary of what life was like just after Pentecost and in the early days of the church. And one of the things we emphasized as we went through the first part of Acts 2 was that this was really uh, birth. the church was birthed as an international uh, gathering. The, the people were um, all Jewish and, and believed in Jesus, uh, came to believe in Jesus Christ at Pentecost, and they were from many lands, different languages. As a matter of fact, that was the miracle of Pentecost, is that the Christians stood up and spoke in languages that they didn't know. But So it was various languages gathered together, an international people that formed this little fledgling church at the beginning. And so today, as we read the scripture, let me invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. And I'm going to invite some folks up on stage to read um, as if, for, since it was an international church, we thought it'd be helpful to have that reminder and have our text read in uh, the heart languages of various members of our church. So we'll have the English printed as well, in case you don't speak all these languages as I do, then uh, you can read along uh, the English uh, with us as well. So let's listen as each of these folks reads uh, in their heart language. <laughs> Sobrevino temor a toda persona y muchos prodigios y señales se hacían por los apóstoles. Ring tu zong zong tetsu an om kom naina an om hotrina en kim an introma. Tu chesangwa soyurul para kak sarame pirurul tara nano juko. In dag ver dag het hulle eendrachtig volhard in die tempel van die huis, en van huis tot huis brood gebreek, en hulle voedsel met blijdschap en eenvoudigheid van hart geniet. Louant Dieu et trouvant grâce auprès de tout le peuple, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. I don't know if you were able to track, we'll read the passage again, all in English as we walk through it in a minute. I don't know how, if you were able to track with each verse as we read through it, but it is a fascinating and a glorious passage of Scripture. As we read this description of what life was like at this season in the early church, there was this devotion to God's Word, to prayer. Everyone, it said, everyone was living in awe. Uh, there was a sense of the presence of God and the work of God. They were in one another's homes. They were providing for one another sacrificially. And so it was this, this renewal revival moment in time where <clears throat> God was working in such glorious ways through his people. And we certainly pray that that would come again. I, uh, 
Well, by the way, thank you for your prayers. A number of you asked me how I'm doing, and uh, so uh, I had a little health issue last week, but I'm, uh, like when I got up to preach, if you weren't here, but I'm uh, doing much better today, so thanks for your prayers, and uh, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, I'm a sucker for a good headline, and uh, so when I read a headline in my newsfeed, I will, uh, if, if it's, I'm, I'm just, I'll click if it's, if it's interesting. And so I read this headline in my newsfeed, this is from The Atlantic, um, and this was the name of the article, Your Sweaters Are Garbage. And then the underlying tagline was, The Quality of Knitwear Has Cratered. Even expensive sweaters have lost their hefty, lush glory. So once I kind of uh, realized what it was about, I said, okay, I'll, you got me. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll play. I'll read what it's about. And, uh, and I wore a sweater today only for this illustration. So, so what, what the article does is it compares um, knitwear today and primarily sweaters from what they were like a generation or two generations ago and how rapidly the abundance of mass-marketed clothing in the U.S. Uh, has changed the type of garments that we wear from a generation ago. It says good sweaters and gloves and beanies <clears throat> and scarves are all but gone from mass-market retailers. The options that have replaced them lose their fluff faster, feel fake, and either keep their wearers too hot or let the winter wind whip right through them. The overwhelming majority of yarn used in mass market knitwear is blended with some type of plastic. Most commonly, this means polyester, polyamide, or acrylic. I'm rocking 20% polyamide today. I checked when I got dressed, I checked the label. So I've got my 20% polyamide. Can't even imagine what the sweater my dad would have been wearing. Uh, it would have been all wool and none of this kind of stuff. So the article goes on to answer, why have we settled for subpar clothing that doesn't keep people warm like it would have in the past and doesn't last uh, and all this kind of stuff? And really, they give two answers. <clears throat> the, the first is obvious. It's costs. It's just far cheaper to use uh, sort of, uh, you know, man-made or partially uh, made fabrics. Um, so they make that point, but they also make the point that we have different sweaters today because of lifestyle issues, and they make a big deal about this, lifestyle issues. So they say no one hand washes and line dries their clothing anymore, which is what would be necessary for a really quality garment. And so because of the change of wanting to do laundry in a more convenient way, uh, people by different garments today. Secondly, they say that wool is a fantastic fabric. I hope you're learning something here today. This is fascinating to me. But, <clears throat> however, it's not the most comfortable, so people layer it. And they said over the past decades, people have become much more casual in their dress, and the work environment, people don't want to layer in a button-down collar, which is too formal for many in a work uh, environment with a sweater over it. So the layering issue, they said people want to wear T-shirts and polos and this kind of stuff. So that's an issue. They also said that indoor climate control is far better than it used to be. So people are not going to work in a drafty building, but now it's 72 degrees, you know, moderated all the time. They also say that um, 
the outside, that's inside, outside, our country's temperatures are trending warmer, and the, and the, uh, it is the Atlantic after, after all, and so they're, they're trending warmer, and the other issue is that people in the U.S. are moving to the south to warmer climates, so nobody needs that kind of a sweater. This is how the article closes. A good sweater is hard to find, but it's not impossible. People are still raising heritage breed sheep and spinning pure wool yarn and knitting sweaters that look and feel and perform a lot like the ones that were a must a couple of generations ago. You can find them if you can pay prices that reflect the value of the materials and skill that went into their creation. Plenty of garments gesture at what used to be widely available, but few hold the candle to the garments that once were the norm. And in fact, please don't get candles too close to a polyblend, which is more, much more likely than wool to go up in flames. That was very fascinating. that They're saying it's all different today for two reasons, costs and lifestyle issues. And when we read the story that we just read, the, the account, the summary account of the early church, it, it, it occurs to me that the church of today, at least the broadly speaking, an evangelical church in the U.S. I'm not speaking about the whole world, but the, the church that we know in our culture, the evangelical church, is very, very different than what we read about here in the book of Acts. And I wonder if it's because, well, what we read about in the book here is far too costly. It's far too costly to sell what you have to take care of someone in your midst who has a need. It's far too costly to gather daily at the temple courts and devote oneself to prayer and the word and the fellowship. It's costly, but there's also lifestyle issues, aren't there? Uh, Not lifestyle issues with laundry and lifestyle issues with temperature, but lifestyle issues with, well, this just isn't very convenient. What we read is not a very convenient uh, way to live your life. It's, we got stuff to do. We've got games to be at. We have got uh, extended hours for work to take care of. And we really don't have time to have somebody in our house and share a meal. And so our lifestyles are just far, far different. And I thought, you know what? Just as there are still sheep growing wool that could be used, there is still a Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit animating and building his church. And that's the primary difference between the church we read about here. And it doesn't last, by the way. Things start going south, and then you read your New Testament, you realize, well, th- this is a glimpse at a time, and it returns at times, but things do go off the rails at points, and that certainly is a big part of the New Testament. But there still is the same Holy Spirit at work to build the church. And that's what is so key in this context, is this is the work of the Holy Spirit, I mean, when we've talked about the book of Acts so far, we've seen that the Spirit was poured out, Peter stood up and preached the gospel, and 3,000 people were saved. That's verse 41. It says that they received the word and were baptized, and 3,000 were added in a day. So there is this great experience of people coming to Christ. And if, if the passage ended there, we could assume that, well, the Holy Spirit comes, he tells us about Jesus, He forgives our sins, and then he comes to dwell in us and among us and just leave it at that, sort of an individualistic application of the gospel. But the very next verse, after 3,000 were converted, is verse 42, and this is our passage today. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. It immediately tells us that all of these people 
became Christians, believed in Jesus, were baptized, and then immediately they are built together. And what it shows us here is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to live out a new life in his new community. The Holy Spirit comes to give us individually new life, to be sure, but not just individually new life. He, he is building a new community. Everything that happens in verses 42 to 47 is the result of the Spirit. The whole second chapter is about what happens when the Holy Spirit descends upon his people. And he does save individuals wonderfully. But then he does this corporate thing of building people together. And I think that because of our lifestyle and our convenience and our natural aversion to costliness and our individualistic mindset where we think very much individually and very little communally, because of all of those things, we need a high vision of what community life is to be among the people of God in every local church. And I believe this is a good picture of that vision, but it's a, it's a vision of community where we stand back and say, this could only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit. There is no way. We cannot roll out some plan. We can't roll out some new vision with a, 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 an amazing video and a, and a glossy brochure to go along with it and say, this is, you know, uh, plan acts two that we're going to roll out and do. No, this only happens because the Holy Spirit showed up and reorients people's hearts and lives so that they're reoriented in commitment to God and to one another. Notice what the Holy Spirit does among these new believers. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the teaching, fellowship, breaking prayer, uh, bread and prayer. So there is a devotion that is birthed in their heart. That is the work of the Spirit's encounter. These people are not consumers that are just dropping in when it's convenient to pick up some tips and tricks for their spiritual lives. This is not what is going on here. They have, they have been reoriented so that now they are committed to the apostles' teaching. They are committed to the fellowship. Fellowship is not a luxury that maybe you get in a little smaller church. This is a megachurch. There's 3,120 people at least, we know, at this point. And yet their lifestyle is being lived out in a very relational manner. They are devoted. The word devoted in, in Greek can be translated, well, it can be translated devoted as we have in the ESV, but it means to hold fast to something. They're holding fast to the prayer. They're holding fast to the fellowship. They're holding fast to one another. It means to persevere in something. That's a powerful choice of words there, too, because they've just been converted. Now, we don't know what kind of gap there is between verse 41 and this summary in verse 42, but, but they're persevering. They, they didn't just have an emotional decision when Peter got up and said, you crucified the Messiah, that everybody has an emotional minute, prays a quick prayer, goes off and lives their life uh, like it's always been without change. No, they are persevering, holding on. They are devoted. The Spirit fills them, and they are devoted. I remember the first time I was exposed to a church that really emphasized these values that we read of here. Now, let me be clear. I grew up in a church that emphasized the gospel. Uh, in college, I was in a very good church that certainly emphasized uh, the gospel and the church I grew up in and the church I went to in college were both uh, 
taught sound doctrine. But this passage wouldn't have been part of the, at least from what I knew, wouldn't have been part of the, um, the DNA of, of how we were living or how we were seeking to live together. And then in seminary, uh, my wife and I uh, became part of a church in California where these were aspirational goals and they were taking steps towards living this way. There was a commitment to community like we had not experienced before. Um, small groups were not a program where you went in and had an hour and a half program lesson and then went on your way, but they were more a sharing of life together. We would meet in a small group, but then we would be uh, in community, connecting throughout the week. There was tremendous hospitality. Uh, I was in California, and prior to this church, don't know that I'd ever been invited inside someone's home. And yet these believers in this church were in and out of one another's homes, sharing food and fellowship together. Uh, they were uh, singles and marrieds in fellowship together. They were raising their children together, caring for one another, where one another's kids mattered uh, to the folks, certainly in the small group and to other ones that knew each other. It was a community that was committed to prayer. The church had early morning prayer meetings and some late night prayer meetings. So there was a prayer as a lifestyle in the church. And in many ways, um, we were ruined for this kind of experience. And like the book of Acts, the church saw some difficulties, ultimately as time went on. But those values remained, and it's something that has always just been so dear to my heart. I want to be a part of something like this, and I believe I am today, but I want to be increasingly a part of something like we read here. So let's look a little bit about this community and see what kind of a community was this early church. And I'm going to point out four things in the text. The first is that they were a learning community. Number one, they were a learning community. Notice they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So when the Holy Spirit comes, that's Acts 2, when the Spirit comes, he will always um, birth a desire to know God and a hunger for his word. You say, well, we don't have the apostles' teaching. Oh, we do. It's on your lap, and it's on the screen this morning. It's what is recorded in our Bible, uh, the teaching that they were teaching. And so it is really saying, to translate this for us, it would be the, the early church, empowered by the Spirit, were devoted to God's Word. Verse 46 says, they, day by day, attending the temple together. So this is probably where they were being exposed to the apostles' teaching. Is they were, it was probably when they were in the temple together. They are listening and hearing uh, God's word being taught to them by the apostles. And it's important to note here that they're receiving this together. So um, uh, verse 44, all who believed were together. Um, they were, verse 46, attending the temple together. This word together is so key because they are learning and applying in community. Now, I am all for individual study. I hope you read the Bible on your own. I hope you have a devotional time. I hope you pray. Uh, I'm all for reading books uh, on Christian doctrine and Christian life practice. You know, practical books as well, applying the scripture. I'm all for that. I'm all for listening to a Christian podcast or downloading a sermon and benefiting from it individually. Those are all gifts that we have in the world that we live in. But note here that 
the goal is that the community be formed together. That this, the church is not a collection of individuals that show up on Sunday at an educational center to benefit individually and go about their business. But we are a community that is being formed together by God's word. That is the goal, that we, we are formed in community together and that your growth in grace matters to me and that my growth in grace matters to you and that we are seeking to apply the scripture together. It is a tremendous joy, a tremendous joy to teach what I'm doing right now in this church because this church is filled with folks that are leaning in, that want to learn, that value. I mean, my goodness, we went verse by verse through the book of Judges, and people are leaning in and eager. And uh, so it is a great privilege to teach folks that are so eager like you and to learn with you as well. Um, and you're very gracious congregation. And so regularly people say encouraging things to me and uh, about... And that happens for all of our preachers. We all receive your encouragement, and it means so much. Um, here's the most encouraging thing I hear about the teaching. I'm very grateful if you say, this ministered to me, thank you. You know, I'm not saying stop doing that. You're welcome to encourage the, the speakers. Um, but here's where it's most meaningful, where someone says to me, we were in community group, and we were talking about the passage of Scripture, and somebody shared this in the group, and it helped me apply it uh, in a way that I hadn't thought about before. And I, then I say, yes, the teaching has shelf life. We're not listening to the Word of God, leaving it on the pew and going into our week. It has a shelf life, and we're applying it and being formed together in community. That's the goal. Not dispensing individual Bible studies so that each person grows spiritually, though that's part of it, but that we are growing together because spiritual growth is a community endeavor. If you have any question of that, read the whole New Testament. That's everywhere, and, and it's certainly predominant in the passage we're reading. So they are a learning community. They are together. They're in the temple court together, and I think we can say implicitly they are applying together as they're living out their lives in one another's homes, uh, sharing meals, all this. Number two, they are a sharing community. They are devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, the word fellowship uh, it has a word common. The Greek word has kind of the word, the idea of common in it. Um, and so what it means, fellowship means is when you share something in common with another person. It, it's, you relate with another person, but your relationship is connected to something beyond the relationship itself. You are sharing something in common would be the way to say it. And so in the New Testament, it is Jesus Christ that people share in common, and they relate around Jesus. So the fellowship means that we are sharing together in a mutual relationship with Jesus Christ. And this shows up, this commitment, devotion to the fellowship shows up in very practical ways. Again, verse 46 says, they're day by day attending the temple courts together and they are breaking bread in their homes. Verse 42 says they're devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, there's some debate among scholars when it says they're devoted to the breaking of bread, if that's a reference to the Lord's Supper, or if it's the same thing as verse 46, which they're breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. The, the goal there is to eat a meal. They're, they're gladly experiencing 
the relationship together as they share their food together. So is verse 42 breaking of bread communion and verse 46 um, dinner together in fellowship with other believers? Well, it's really hard, if not impossible, to say just by the words in the text. At some level, it may not matter because certainly we don't know here, but later in the New Testament, in Corinth, for instance, uh, churches likely met in homes and the Lord's Supper was shared in a full meal. You know, I mean, the whole church could be together in a home and share the Lord's Supper together as part of a, what was called a love feast, a, 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 perhaps a potluck or something like that, where people are uh, eating together. So we see both in the New Testament, the Lord's Supper around a bigger meal, fellowship meal. Um, but what is really clear here is that they're in each other's homes, that hospitality is being extended. Fellowship uh, we could have a conversation in the lobby today and call that fellowship for sure, maybe depending on what we're talking about. Um, but fellowship is also this kind of hospitality, opening our lives and opening our homes to one another. And they do this with great joy. Now, not only are they generous at mealtime, evidently, but their generosity extends beyond that. Um, it says that verse 44, the, those who believed were together, they had things in com- all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So there probably were a lot of needs. If you'll remember, uh, people from different nations had gathered at Pentecost. 3,000 of them are converted. They're at this festival, but presumably a number of them, maybe a large number, stuck around. I mean, something amazing is happening And they stuck around and formed this early gathering of church people, uh, the early church in Jerusalem. And so people obviously had need. If you go on vacation with a packed bag and you stay for some, you know, uh, unending time afterwards, you may not have everything that you need, especially if you got polyester clothing, right? You know, if you don't have good good quality wool, you may be in trouble. So, uh, so there's probably a lot of needs, and they're saying, hey, well, let's take care of one another and, and this sort of thing. So their fellowship was spiritual, to be sure, prayer, Bible study, but it was practical as well. It was, let's provide a meal for one another. You know, if I'll provide a meal for you, or you provide a meal for this person over here, or it was meeting the needs that people may have in the community. This passage, man, when I read this passage, it just pushes against our individualistic uh, tendencies. It just pushes against it and just says, man, church is not just a meeting to attend for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. Uh, Church is the people of God being formed by the Holy Spirit into a vibrant community. It's something something that just presses us uh, based on our culture. And if that's not pressing enough, please note, this is a very diverse group of people. Now, they're all Jewish. They're, now they're Christian. But they're all, they, they, so they have a common background. They have a common religious background. So they have that in common, to be sure. And now they have Christ that's in common. But if you'll remember from earlier in the chapter, it said people at Pentecost were from every nation under heaven. And Peter stands up and preaches to every nation under heaven, and 3,000 of them are converted. Uh, author and commentator Dean Penter said this about the group in Acts 2 and their fellowship, their diversity, their fellowship. This is, uh, I'll read you a quote. This is what he said. 
While there may have been aspects about one another's company that individuals in the early church in Acts 2 found appealing, the explicit diversity of this community suggests that their loving fellowship was based on something more than mutual interest. Whereas most societies, ancient and modern, tend toward establishing exclusive barriers based on, based on ethnicity, political interests, gender, wealth, or class. The early church is notable for its inclusiveness. The earliest audience who heard and responded to the apostles' teaching may have all been Jews, but they were Jews from every nation under heaven. And this meant that they came from varied cultural contexts, spoke different languages, and represented every social stratum. Early Christianity grasped that true and loving fellowship is not an ideal they had to muster up on their own. Rather, it is a reality created by God in Christ and through the Holy Spirit. So if you were in Christ, if you had repented and believed and were baptized, you were in Christ, a believer in Jesus. He's saying here that all of the various differences must have been muted at some level and instead devotion to fellowship, devotion to what Christ is doing, devotion to the community trumped certain cultural distinctives, language distinctives, even social uh, levels in the community. I know this passage that we're reading, it's often taught as a vision for the church, and I love that. It should be. It's often, a lot of churches would say, Acts 42 through 47, this is our vision. The Word, prayer, community, the Lord's Supper, fellow, you know, a relationship. We want to be uh, relational. We want to see people added, just as verse 47 says. We want to be evangelistic. So you look at all this and go, hey, this is what we want to be. But we miss oftentimes, at least in my hearing of this passage being taught, we miss most of the times. I've taught this passage. I've missed most of the times. The international and diverse nature of this community. Uh, now, many people, many churches are birthed in a, in a, in a community that's not diverse, and so you don't try to take this and put it on a community where everybody in the city is the same, okay? So I know that. But we live in a diverse community. Uh, praise God for that. And so because of that, we should read this with the, the international nature in view. We should read this with the view that people with different cultures are being converted and being built together. And that is a beautiful, glorious thing. So they were a learning community. They were a sharing community. Number three, they were a worshiping community. Now, I know all of life is worship in a technical sense, but I, I'm wanting to talk about the parts of the passage that, that talk about their Godward orientation. They are devoted, verse 42, to the prayers. When the Holy Spirit builds a people together, he will lead them to talk to God. When the Holy Spirit births people to an individual, he will do that, and with Christians. It will be very natural when Christians are building relationships together to pray to God together, to pray for one another. Prayer is simply acknowledging our own needs and communicating that to God. It is speaking praise to God. Verse 47 says they were praising God. It is to thank God. It is to make requests of God. It is to make requests for my neighbor my brother or sister in Christ. And so they are devoted to this. They're not dabbling in prayer. They are devoted to it, is what the word, the text says. They're devoted. And as they meet together in one another's homes, I think we could presume, I think it's safe 
to say that part of their devotion to prayer, how did that happen? They may have been uh, honoring the hours of prayer in the Jewish culture, so they may have been honoring those. But if they're regularly in the temple courts together and they're regularly in one another's homes together sharing meals, I think we can uh, presume that part of that relationship and fellowship meant that they were praying together. It also says, again, verse 47, they were praising God, praising God and having favor with all the people. I love the way that's described. Here's a snapshot of the church. They're praising God. It, it doesn't say, and I know this happened, that they praise God at specific times. It just said that characterized these people. It, it's, it reads like a lifestyle issue, that these were people that had God on their mind. These were people that were talking to God. It was very natural to be engaging with someone, and we need to be, I mean, some people are hyper-spiritual, and you just need to learn how to do some small talk, okay? I mean, every moment, every word's got to be a Bible verse, or that's just awkward and fake, really, okay? So we should be able to talk about regular stuff, um, but we should also realize that God invades all of our regular stuff, and that all of our regular stuff is for his glory. And so it should be very natural to go into a conversation where I'm talking about work and then I'm talking about my heart, my spiritual life, and how I'm engaging my work in that way. So it should be very natural to praise God, to speak of God. And this is the kind of worshiping community they're a part of. It also says in verse 43, awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs are being done to the apostles. So God, we'll read about that next week. God is doing uh, powerful things, people being healed and people being converted. Of course, conversion is the greatest miracle of all. But other miracles are happening as well. And so the people are living in this sense of, wow, you know, God is in our midst. So they are a, they're living with a view that's vertical, a worshiping community, a praying, living in awe, praising community. And finally, they're a growing community. The gospel mission is being extended through them. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the way that that reads communicates that as they're living out their life in community together, as they're devoted to the word and prayer, fellowship, that God is doing this work of converting other people and adding them into the mix, adding them into his people. So note this, in verse 41, okay, Peter preaches, and in verse 41, 3,000 people are converted in response to the sermon at Pentecost. But verse 47 says that people are converted presumably as they observe or encounter the life of the church. So Peter preaches and 3,000 get saved, but in an ongoing way, it's not just let's get one dude up here to, to tell everybody because he can do that and then they'll all respond. It's, no, it's the lifestyle, the, the spirit-filled church, which is living out, these people living out their new life in a new community. And the life of the new community is so compelling. Some are repelled by it, but some are compelled to know more. And they're observing and saying, this can only be God. When a community lives in a way that can only be explained by the power of the Holy Spirit, that community will draw other people who want to know God. Verse 44, they all who believed were together. So there's this together, this vibrant nature of their community, and others are able to see this togetherness, this life. Now, just as I believe in individual study and devotion, I believe in individual evangelism. 
So you can tell someone what Christ has done in your life. You can explain to them from the scripture who Jesus is and what he's done, and they can be converted. That is wonderful. Many of us were converted because someone witnessed to us. They shared their faith with us individually. And we are all for that. And there's some examples of that in the New Testament. But certainly this passage indicates that there's, there's even a greater display of the effects of the gospel in community. As they're living their life, daily the Lord is adding into their number those who are being saved. And I think part of the reason is because I can tell you what Jesus has done in my life. But I can bring you in and show you a lot of lives of people who would never be together who don't agree on all kinds of stuff in life and don't have just natural mutual interests that drew them together like a club or like everybody who has the same hobby. But these are different people, different ages, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different cultures, uh, different preferences, different politics, different whatever. All kinds of differences, but they are unified and loving one another in Christ. And that picture is so compelling of changed lives that are being lived out by making sacrifices for others, by preferring our neighbor, by inviting our neighbor into our home. That act alone is radical in this culture. I mean, Frisco is designed for maximum uh, keep to yourselfness. I mean, most of the neighborhoods in Frisco, now I'm not talking about apartments here, I'm talking about houses, are built with a or at least they were early. I'm not, I don't know every new neighborhood at this point. But the early years of Frisco, all the neighborhoods were built on an alley system where the garage is facing an alley. So you drive into the alley, you drive, you press your button, you drive into your garage, you close your garage without ever having to interact with any neighbor. We're not talking front porch. We're not talking about uh, hanging out out front. We're talking parking out front. We're talking about sneaking in the back so that I don't have to be bothered by those people. And then going in, having my dinner, and then watching Netflix. And I don't have to interact with anybody. But Christianity is, no, the front door is open, and we are to be engaging with our neighbor and with one another. And that is radical, just being invited into somebody's home and to see people who are different loving one another and making sacrifices for one another. That is so different that when the Lord does that, it is the gospel on display because it points to the death and resurrection of Jesus because he's the one that changed us. And he's the one that's given us new life. And he's the one that's building us together. And he's the one we're living for. And so we have a different dream than the American dream. We have different values than the culture. We have a different view of what is success and what is the good life. We're working off a different scorecard altogether. And this is the scorecard. This is where life is in Jesus Christ. I read this and I go, man, could it be that God wants to do this again? Could it be that in our little unknown church, you know, that God would want to stir us up and do something in us by the power of his Holy Spirit where people encounter and observe and are drawn in to hearing the message of Jesus because they're being exposed to a credible example of the difference Christ makes, not only in a life, but in a community. As glorious as it is to see the person go from drugs to Jesus, from immorality to Jesus, or whatever, you know, the confession story, the great testimonies that we hear, as wonderful as that is, to then see that person incorporated into the people of God is so glorious. Now, if you continue to read, and we will, you see that it gets messy, 
You see that it gets inconvenient. It's very risky and challenging to embrace this type of Christianity. And it's also impossible without the power of the Spirit. If this was just placed elsewhere in the New Testament, we could draw all kinds of conclusions. But because it's in Acts 2, it is inextricably linked to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And the whole point is, when the Spirit shows up, this is what he does. You want to know the Spirit's present? Well, Peter's going to tell people about Jesus. You want to know the Spirit's present? People are going to be loving Jesus, love the gospel, celebrating the cross and resurrection. They're going to be, it's going to be about grace. It's going to be about what God has done, not what we're to do. It's going to be about what God's emphasis and accent is on his rule and his reign and the glory of Jesus. You'll know people are encountered the Spirit when they're talking about Jesus. And you'll also know they've encountered the Spirit when they're devoted to God's word, when they're devoted to the people of God. Even the people of God that are different, even the people of God that get on their nerves, okay? The people of God, they're devoted to them in fellowship. They're devoted to the breaking of bread. They value communion. They value being in one another's homes and sharing meals with generous and glad hearts. They are in awe of what God is doing. They are, um, they are taking their resources and meeting one another's needs as anyone who has needs in the community. They're praising God, and God's giving them, verse 47, favor with the people. This is what happens when the Spirit comes. It's a taste of heaven on earth. Could it be God wants us to encounter the Spirit that we live out our new lives in his new community. So what would be a next step for you? I, I think we could all, God's calling us all to take steps here. Now, I want to be clear. I think the first step is acknowledging our need and say, Holy Spirit of God, bring conviction, bring new eyes, bring a new heart. Help me. Help me get my eyes off myself. So I think we invite the Holy Spirit to, you know, touch, affect us. I think that's a, a key. But think about the learning community. They were a learning community community. They were learning God's word and then applying it together. So maybe you're not part of a smaller community than this at Grace Church. I would encourage you to get in one. You can join a community group, uh, an open group. Some of them are filled up, but you can go to the website and find an open group and you can join a group. If you're a guy, you can show up here any Wednesday on, at 6 a.m. for a study um, learning together uh, doctrinal truth from God's word. If you are a lady, the women's Bible study has started, but I checked, and you can get in in week two. Uh, I asked for you and uh, got a permission for you. So you can get in in week two. You could join the women's Bible study. If you're a student, you could get to the square where you're being not only taught God's word, but then you're circling up with people of your same age to discuss and apply that. See, the, the goal is that we learn in community and apply in community. They were also a sharing community. You know what? You could open your home and invite someone in. I'm thinking here about another person in the church, a single adult or a married couple or a family with little kids, if you dare, uh, and invite them, invite them into your home. You know, I thought, what, what if everybody in the church made a goal in the next month, I'm going to have someone from the church in my home for coffee or dessert or a meal um, or, you know, what, whatever it is. But we're, I'm going to invite someone in. If everyone did that, uh, what a difference 
what a difference our community would, it would just make a profound difference in the community if we're beginning to live that way. I know it's animated by the Holy Spirit, but sometimes the Holy Spirit leads and directs by saying, get out your calendar, pick a name, text or call or invite them and put it on your calendar. That's the Holy Spirit too. That's the Holy Spirit too. They're a worshiping community. They are committed to prayer. Do you know what the best kept secret at Grace Church is? Of course you don't. It's a secret. (laughs) The best kept secret at Grace Church, and we don't want it to be a secret, is that at 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings upstairs, there's a prayer meeting. And the Lord is moving there. The Lord is speaking. The Lord is leading. The Lord is directing. Um, For various reasons, I'm not at that meeting regularly. I'm doing something else, getting ready for this on Sunday morning. But, uh, But I get a report regularly. And the Lord is working in a powerful way there. So one way to be joined, devoted to the prayers is you could jump in there anytime. They were a growing community. You know, I'm convicted just to make room in my life for those who don't know Christ and think of how I can expose them to community. So we want to expose people who don't know the Lord. Uh, We want to love them and serve them individually. That's great. I think people are getting exposed to the community here. So there's, a, there's opportunities to do that. Friday night, um, guys were up back on the, you know, on the back in the commons uh, eating barbecue. Um, and if you can do that and tie a scripture to it, that's pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> but I met people. That, like, so I met, I had a conversation with somebody who's invited. You know, he's a, a dad on their, the kids play soccer together. So the guys in our church has a kid on the soccer team, invites his this other dad to the deal, and he's there. So that kind of... People come together and experience life together in the church. Next week's picnic would be the same way. You could invite somebody to that after church as we are together on the 21st. So think of ways to expose people to our life together. We need the Spirit, and when He comes, this is what He produces in our hearts. There's a lot of crazy ideas of what it means to be Spirit-filled. But I'm convinced it means a changed life that looks like this. And when I read that, I pray, oh, Lord, help me. Spirit of God, come and soften my heart. Apply your word to me. Help me see afresh the sacrifice of Jesus, what he's done for me. And may your grace melt my heart uh, towards you vertically and outwardly towards other people. We're going to close by receiving communion today. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.